this may be a series here. I don't know whether it's going to be a series on Paul or a series on Galatians. I'll be praying about that. Chapter number one, Galatians chapter number one. I like talking about both, Paul and Galatians. There's been times when uh, I've, I've probably talked about it quite a few times, but there's been times when I get to talking about grace and the law. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that's plain and clear. It's just when you start reading and then you read one part and you're like, well, that's over here, too. You read it, you read that, and it's like, well, that's over here, too. And that's over in this other place. And by the end, I feel like that guy with all the index cards and the, the yarn stretched around him, showing you the law and grace. But uh, starting out here in Galatians, this morning, I want to talk about Paul. Because Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle... Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And uh, we'll just start right there on that verse there. Well, let's pray. Amen. And I've talked about the change that's taking place. When you, to, to understand what's taking place in Galatians is to go back and, and look at all of the years and the centuries in the Old Testament of following the law. The Jews that were faithful followed the law that was laid out by Moses. You know, they didn't have the law until Moses came. You had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And they, they were in Egypt. They were in bondage. They come out of Egypt and out of bondage. God delivers them. God delivers them across the Red Sea. And Moses comes down from the mountain, spending time with God, spending so much time with God that when he comes down from the mountain, he's glowing. And they're like, no, no, cover up. We just can't handle it. Now that's getting close to God. And let me tell you something. You may not physically glow, but you spend some time with the Lord, people are going to know it. It just happens like that. Just like... If you hadn't spent time, people are kind of like, well, I don't know, something's a little different. But spending time with the Lord, you, you begin to reflect God's glory and God's grace. And Moses came down from the mountain and he had the, the, the commandments and the law and they built the tabernacle. So over all of that time and the sacrifices that were made, the offerings that were made, and you, you find that God painted a picture with everything that he gave them. He gave them everything specifically from what type of wood to use, from what type of, what type of skins to hang and what order to hang them in. And he painted a picture with all of that of what was to come, of his son, Jesus Christ. And we look back, and I, I love to see the types. I've, I backed off a little bit because I used to see types where there wasn't types. <laughs> I had to back up a little bit. But... Knowing that that's the picture the whole time. Yet what they had in front of them was keep the law and the commandments. And so they were, they were faithful to that. But the problem was they weren't keeping them on the inside. Outwardly. 
always go back to this one. Outwardly, they were keeping the law, thou shalt not commit adultery. Inwardly, they were lusting after their neighbor's wife. Outwardly, they weren't stealing anything, but inwardly, they were coveting what their neighbor had. Outwardly, they weren't killing anybody, but inwardly, they were wishing they would die. So when Jesus came, there was a changing dynamic that took place. And so you go from the law on the outside, it tells you, do this, don't do that. And I know y'all know this, but I'm laying some groundwork here, and I'm trying to set the scene and put you in the picture, put you in what's going on. Because when Paul comes on the scene, they've been keeping the law for all of these centuries, and they've that's their salvation. That's how they got to heaven. When Jesus came, he's telling them, it, well, it, the, everything changes. Those sacrifices that they made aren't saving them. They weren't ever enough to save them. God gave them grace when they kept the law. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, his blood paid the full penalty for sin. Past, present, future. His penalty was enough to save, his, his death on the cross and his shed blood was enough to save all of mankind. And all of that changed. So when we get to the book of Galatians, you have people that got saved, you have Gentiles that got saved, but there were Jews that came along and said, well, that's good, you're saved, you've trusted Christ, but if you want to be right with God, you're going to have to keep all this. And you're going to have to follow all of this. So the whole book of Galatians is about Paul straightening them out. Because when you read a little further, and we are going to talk about Paul, but he says in verse number 2, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, he said, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of of God and our Father. Paul comes right out of the gate and he states a, states a doctrinal truth. You're saved through Jesus Christ. Jesus gave himself for our sins to save us from this present evil world. He said, to whom be glory forever and ever. And he's talking about the Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he comes right out of the gate, verse number six, the purpose for his letter. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So they were telling him, if you want to be saved, you got to do this, you got to do that. He said, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then he repeats it, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. And then verse number 10, he says, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And I'm getting up to the point here. But that's something to remember in our lives. When you please Christ, you're not always going to please men. If you seek to please men, you're not going to please Christ. I get up here and I get mealy mouth sometimes when I preach. I hate it. But, I, you know, sometimes I'm aware of, of feeling. I don't know. 
is something that I need to work on, you know, as a preacher. I used to be a lot meaner. But I've seen, too, where just being mean for the sake of being mean, it can hurt somebody. It can, it can steer them away. But then you ask yourself, well, how much do you trust God to take care of them? I mean, have you ever had somebody tan your hide and it hurt so bad and you got away? And you say, you know, I had that coming. I've been kind of feeling like that for the last couple months. But uh, to, to, Paul wasn't afraid to give the gospel of Christ. He, wasn't a, he didn't seek to please men. He sought to please God. Now we're getting to the point. He said, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. I want to talk this morning about the calling of the preacher. And we're talking about the calling of Paul. So there's a change that's taking place during this time. We know that Jesus walked with the disciples. We know that the disciples followed Jesus. And we know that they were there in the beginning of the book of Acts. And they were telling people about Jesus Christ. If you look over there in Acts chapter number 2, Peter, Peter gets up and preaches on that day. A lot of people... Let me keep it on topic. This is a part where I start breaking out index cards and thread, and it doesn't help anybody. Turn, if you will, in your Bible to Acts chapter number 7. We're going to look at Paul coming on the scene. Acts chapter number 7. Some of you are already there mentally. In Acts chapter number 6, we have the the first deacons that are chosen. They're chosen to wait tables, not run the preacher. But uh, in Acts chapter number 7, one of the deacons, Stephen, they they brought false witnesses against him. And, uh, yeah, Acts 7. They brought false witnesses against him, put him in front of the Sanhedrin, And I love the way the whole Acts chapter number 7 starts. The priest looks down at him, and he says, are these things so? And then what you have over the the whole, uh, the next 50 verses or so, you have Stephen going through the whole Bible, and he tells you about the types, and he tells you about Joseph, and he tells you about Moses. And he, he goes through the whole Bible, and he's pointing out to them this change that's taking place. All of the law that was kept and how all of it points toward Jesus Christ. And he said, uh, verse 44, he said, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house, howbeit the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as the prophet saith, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? And I think he looks around at this point. Stephen looks around and he sees all the Pharisees out there. 
And among all the Pharisees that he sees out there, there's a young man named Saul. And he's there and he's just as mad and he's just as angry as all the other Pharisees are out there because he's keeping the law, he knows the law, and he's followed the law, and he's learned the law, and he's taught the law, and he's kept it his whole life. And he looks over there at Stephen and he hears all this being put to him and he said, no, no, this isn't what God laid out. This isn't what God laid out. Stephen looks out there and he sees those faces and you ever been talking to somebody and try to convince them and you see it in their face. They're not even listening. I think he looks out there and he sees those faces and he says in the next verse, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and then they have slain them which before of the coming of the just one of whom you have now of whom you have now been betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Now, there's a scene there, isn't it? And just the hatred that you can see pouring out on Stephen. And look how Stephen takes it. So verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. Well, that just tipped it right there. All the hatred that they were giving him and Stephen, all he could see was Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, Christian. It doesn't matter what this world does. And there's a lot of craziness in this world. We've been seeing it for the last couple of years. We've been seeing a lot of hatred. We've been seeing a lot of, you know, you look out there and it's like, can these people even know Jesus Christ? Some of them know the gospel better than a lot of Christians attending church every Sunday. Some of them know the Bible a lot better than Christians attending church every Sunday. But they don't want anything to do with God. But let me tell you something. It's your eyes on Jesus Christ that matters. <clears throat> we'll all stand before the judgment seat. We'll all be judged on the things done in the body. It said, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly. And that's how you get through it. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. In my mind's eye, nowhere in the Bible does it say this happened. But just in my mind's eye, I see Luke over there writing the book of Acts. And Paul comes over to visit him one day while he's writing. What are you doing there, Luke? Well, I'm writing all about the missionary journeys and everything that took place in between when Jesus went up to heaven. And I'm, I'm writing about it so Theophilus will know. And so that others will know what took place. Oh, I see you're to the part about Stephen. Yeah, yeah, I've made it this far. Well, do me a favor, will you? Make sure you put in there that I was there. 
and let them know where I was standing when they were throwing stones at Stephen. I think Paul, I think that ate at Paul for a long time in his life. And I, that's just my mind's eye. That's just my own story. I think Paul wanted that, be sure that was in there. You know, the Bible shows us warts and all. Paul didn't just want him to know him as the man who wrote the 13 books of the Bible. He wanted them to know what he'd done and where he came from. Now, let me tell you something, Christian. It's good to remember where you came from and where you were before you met Jesus Christ. Amen. It's good to remember the wallow, the mire that you were wallowing in before you met Jesus Christ. It's good to remember that road to hell that you were on before you met Jesus Christ because it makes it so much sweeter when you know how Jesus took that penalty on the cross. It makes you understand so much better the sacrifice that he made for you. Those people that think, well, you know, he saved me. He got up on the cross for me, and he died for me, and he loved me, and I'm so wonderful. you got to be careful with that. It is good to go back and to remember, you know, I'm vile. I remember what I was before Jesus died for me. And it said, uh, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You think Saul supplied that detail? Stephen could have had hatred in his heart. Stephen could have had hatred for every one of them that was doing that to him. But he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He followed the lead of Jesus on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Saul standing in that crowd and Saul was breathing out threatenings and Saul was gnashing his teeth. Don't get him. Get him. Here, give me that coat. Get get a good throw in there. Those stones hitting Stephen one at a time. An arm breaks, a wrist breaks. One hits him in the head and he falls down. And Saul remembers. I think he remembered till the day he died. He said, Keith, you're adding a lot. And it's like, isn't that how people work? Saul saw so many people get saved, yet even when he goes back, he said, I held the coats of them that stoned him. And I think it haunted him. But he knew he'd see Stephen again one day. And he'd say, I'm sorry about that. Oh, you're already forgiven. Don't worry about it, Stephen will say. But at this time, Saul was still that man. So in chapter number 8, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution at the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house. And hailing men and women committed them to prison. And in verse number four, a lot of favorite verses, but that one right there says, And therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You ever you ever had a grease fire and try to throw water on it? Once God's spirit catches fire in people's hearts. You can get up against it. You can persecute. And the persecution is just throwing water on a grease fire. It just takes off. 
And they that were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. You know what Saul was doing back then? He was spreading the gospel. Whether he wanted to or not, whether he knew he was or not. So that's the introduction. And then there's something that happens on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter number 9. Saul is committed. Jesus told the disciples in John 16 too, he said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time will co- is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. And I think Paul thought with all his heart he was doing the right thing. He was stopping these people from their blasphemy. But Paul's on the road to Damascus and he's ready to do more damage. And he gets struck by the light. He sees the light when he's on the road to Damascus and it strikes him down. And I want to look at a couple things here when we look at the calling of the preacher. Number one, he was called by the Savior. Here he's called directly by Jesus Christ. It said in the verse number three, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined right about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told what thou must do. At this point, Saul was surrendered. At this point, Saul saw Jesus Christ for who he was. I think it was at this point Saul was saved. But he had a calling. He wasn't just saved to be saved. God had a purpose for him. God had a plan for him. Now let me tell you something, Christian. Whatever you've done, God's got a plan for your life. He's got something for you. And here he had a special ministry for Paul. Number one, uh, he was called by the Savior over in Galatians chapter 1. You can stay in 7 for a minute. But over in Galatians 1 said, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, some people are called to preach in different ways. And that's, that's something that when you, when you get out, when you talk to other preachers or when you read about other preachers or you see some other preachers, I, maybe I'm building a straw man here, but you know, there's some preachers that are called by their pastor. The pastor looks out there and he sees an ability in someone. He sees they have the ability to speak. He says, man, God's called you to preach. And he puts him up in the pulpit and he, put, he puts him into teaching and things like that. And he cultivates him and gets him to teaching. And that, that young man, he says, well, I'm called to preach. I've got the ability and then he gets into life and he gets to moving along and he said, well, maybe I wasn't called to preach. Or maybe he just goes on without the Spirit of God. Um, there's others that are called by a parent, maybe. I heard a preacher talk about some, some kids or mama called and daddy sent. Mama called and mom said, it's my preacher boy and he's going to, 
This happens a lot in Georgia. I don't know about out here. I hadn't seen a lot of this out here. But I said, yeah, he's called to preach, and Daddy has sent him off to seminary school. What Brother Grady used to call seminary school. You go out there, not all of them now, but, you know, any place that gets so scholarly, any place that always has to have something new, any place that always has to be innovative, and any place that, that has control over what they teach somebody, they can begin to teach what they believe rather than what God's showing. They can begin to teach their own ideas. If you've ever seen one of these classes, I get the great courses. I get those in the mail, great courses, college courses or whatnot. There's some I just won't order. They're all about the Bible, but I looked up the one that was teaching the class, and he doesn't even believe in God. So you got to be careful where you get it from. But not everyone, the point is, I see y'all twirling in your head. What are you talking about? The point is that Paul was called by the Lord. And it's not always easy to know if you're called that way. But it's the right way to be called. God moves on your heart, and you surrender to preach. But Paul was called by Jesus Christ. Look at uh, look at verse number 13. Paul goes into Damascus, and he sees Ananias. Verse number 11, And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. The Lord's talking to Ananias. For behold, he prayeth, and he hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. We just don't have that list, do we? There's no telling what he did to get that reputation. What evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And verse 15 and 16 is what we're looking at. It said, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Remember that change that I was saying was taking place? The, the, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. That moment in chapter 7 where they reject Stephen, they reject the gospel, and they stone Stephen, a little pause takes place. And God begins to call the Gentile. And here he chooses, he sets Saul apart to, to lead the Gentiles to him, to preach to the Gentiles. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul was called by Jesus Christ. And Paul was also taught by Jesus Christ. Look over back over in Galatians. I don't know whether it's a sermon or a Bible study. But we don't have a night service, so we can call it either. So verse number 12, he said... Uh, verse number 11, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past, that's his life, that's his walk, 
in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. You see why I think that stuck with him? And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorify God in me. So when Paul gets saved and God, Jesus converts him, he has a special ministry to the Gentiles. And so we see Paul called by the Savior. We see Paul called, by the, called to serve because he has a ministry to the Gentiles. And we also see Paul called to suffer because the Lord said how he'll suffer many things for me. And... Uh, The other point was that Paul was called to surrender, and he had to surrender a couple things to serve Jesus Christ. One of the things was, by Jesus teaching him directly, Paul was dropping all of his preconceptions about the Bible. When he learned from Jesus Christ, I see, I see some confusion because I'm kind of stalling here. When he learned from Jesus Christ... He learned what Jesus wanted to teach. He had to let go of all of those things that he hung on to. Look at, uh, look at Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Paul says, for we are the circumcision. This is verse number 3. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. You'll see this over and over again, Paul not having confidence in the flesh. When he preaches, he doesn't have confidence in the flesh. He trusts in Jesus Christ. He, he says, who have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. What Paul's about to say here is that if anybody could trust in themselves, I could be the one doing it. Because he's about to give you a whole litany. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was, he was a hardcore Pharisee. He knew the law from front to back. He knew how to keep the cup clean. He knew all the procedures. He knew where every nail in the tabernacle was supposed to go. He could tell you all about the Lord. He could tell you all about what God had set up in the law. And he could have all his confidence based in what he had learned. 
So he, he goes on, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then he begins to list his qualifications. Verse number five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. He's, Everything was done right when I was born. Everything was done according to the law. I was part of this tribe. I'm part of, I'm from the stock of Israel. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was on the, man, he was the one they looked to. Take care of these Christians. Take care of these, these, these blasphemers. He was out there and he was taking care of them. He thought he was doing God a service. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. So that's what I was trying to talk about. When he learned from Jesus Christ and he had to give up some preconceptions, he had to step aside from himself. He had to say, you know what? None of that's worth anything. I want Jesus Christ. You know, if you're going to serve Jesus Christ, if you're going to come to Christ, there may be some things you just got to put aside. You know, say I've given the example, I think, before someone, someone gets saved. Yeah, I've given this example. I'll give it again just to put it in the context of where we are. I've seen someone that starts coming to church. They get saved, but they're still playing the music in the bars on the Saturday night. They get put up on the stage on Sunday morning, but they're still in the bars on Saturday night playing. Right after they finish playing, they just leave the service and they go on to the scout bar in the afternoon on Sunday because that's where the talent scouts are. And they go and play there. But they play good. They got the chords. Man, they, they can sing good. They're, I mean, they got their own video online. They got talent. They got ability. They got all of that. But in God's economy, maybe they needed to set that aside and find out what Jesus Christ wanted for them. You don't always bring in your talents to serve the Lord. God was able to use what Paul needed, but not in the way Paul would have thought when he first got saved. When he first got saved, Paul would have said, Lord, I I know the law. I I know all this. It's like going to a job. Yeah, I can do this. Man, I I can weld pipe. I can weld angles and corners and boilers. I can do all of this stuff, and I can stand up on that. But when you come to serve the Lord, you got to set aside some preconceptions about what God may want. And that's what Paul had to do. He spent time alone with the Lord. He didn't go and consult with flesh and blood. He didn't go and consult with the other apostles. He said, Lord, what do you want me to know? So he had to surrender some of that. And he said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for lost for Christ. Verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know one of the smallest ways this happens? Is when the preacher's working on a sermon and say, well, I can do this. Yeah, I can make a point here. I can make a point here. I can make a point here. And yeah, this would be a good passage for that. And this one, this one will fit in there good too. Yeah, and then, then I can talk about this. And then you sit down and you start to study it. 
Well, that's not what you're saying at all, is it, Lord? Just throw all that out the window. Let me just see what you got to say. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And there's the goal. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. Now, we're in Galatians, and we're going to be talking about the law. You see what I mean about those index cards and that thread? Over here. Philippians, he talks about my own righteousness, which is of the law, and go over into Galatians and talk about the law, go over into Romans chapter number four, talk about the law, go into Romans chapter number eight and chapter number seven, and you could just get all up in there, going back and forth. But this morning, I wanted to talk to y'all about Paul a little bit, because this is how I see Paul. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In verse number eight, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now he talks about that suffering, turn to, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Paul was called to surface, service. He was called to surrender his conscience, but he was called to suffer also. Jesus said how he must suffer many things, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake over there in Acts 9.16. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 Verse number 19, Paul gives a litany of the things that he suffered. He said, for you suffer fools gladly seeing yourself. Let's see, verse, I got this right. Yes, I do. Verse number 19, for you suffer fools gladly seeing you yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you. If a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own, by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, and besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. In spite of everything that's going on around him, inside him, is the care of all the churches. How are they doing over there in Corinth? I'd better say a prayer. And he says, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? 
But those things that he had to suffer for Jesus Christ, that's not quite the air-conditioned ministry we get today a lot of times, is it? This seat's a little uncomfortable. Because Paul suffered for Jesus Christ. All those things that he went through, but he did it that he might win Christ. He counted all things as loss. So he had to surrender his calling, which he thought was to persecute the, the Christians. He had to surrender his conceptions, all that he knew about the law and all that he'd grown up knowing, and learn what Jesus Christ had to teach him. And then he had to surrender his conscience. He says... In uh, 1 Corinthians 19, 9, 16, he said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In 2 Timothy 1, 3, he said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 29, he says, Conscience, I say, not of your own, but that or the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? And the point behind that being in surrendering his conscience. A lot of times we'll judge ourselves. A lot of times we'll say, you know, Lord, I'm not good enough for you. How many times Paul sit in prison? You know, he's confident in his letters. He talks about You know, in letters, I'm bold. But I'm meek face to face. He said that over in 1 Corinthians. How many times did we not see where Paul was worried a little bit? Or maybe like Elijah, he was up there. He said, I'm not better than my father's. We don't know. We don't read about that. His confidence was in Jesus Christ. His conscience may convict him. His conscience may tell him you're not good enough. His conscience may tell him you come up short, Paul. But I think he had to surrender that and say, Lord, what's your judgment? I'll leave that judgment up to you. There's a lot of people who say, you know, I, I'm not worthy. I've, I've, I can't come to Jesus Christ. I've done all of this. I've done all these things. You know, that's one thing every Christian needs to do. It doesn't mean that you become cold. doesn't mean that you compartmentalize. doesn't mean that you don't think back like Paul did to when he saw Stephen stoned. But it means that, Lord, you'll be the one to judge, and I'll stand before you. But you say in your word, your son died on the cross for my sins. And if I accept that penalty... Yeah, let's turn to it. Turn to John 5.24. Brother David and I, and I'll give full disclosure. I didn't go all the time. I remember one time going with Brother David up to the youth detention center. That was the ministry that he had going. I went up there with him, and he preached. He, He made his notes on a piece of paper. You know, he had the passages. You talk to him on the phone, and and by the way, just parenthetically, I got permission. We're going to call him Tuesday night 
so you can bring your questions to the man that's been teaching the Revelation lessons. So, and hopefully he doesn't leave me stranded. I, I said, now they'll know that I really know you, and I'm not just saying it, you know. <laughs> we didn't just pick some random guy on the internet. But uh, we, were, we were going up to, there, to the youth detention center, and it was... It's a little overwhelming first time, you know. It's like you got all these, you got, you got these young men that want to be saved. I mean, you got 10 lined up at the table wanting to be saved, you know. And you say, well, I don't know about those prison conversions. It's like, well, they're better than a lot of these non-conversions I've seen <laughs> where people don't even think about it. But they're there at the table. I said, well, Brother David, what do I, what do I tell them? You know, what do I show them? They gave me some verses, and this was one of them. Look at uh, John 5, 24. And this is still within the context of turning your conscience over to the Lord. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and I'll stop right there. Did you hear the word? They just heard the gospel preached. They just heard that Jesus Christ died for their sins. They just heard John three sixteen, Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him. I said, do you believe? Do you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they said, yeah. I said, well, look what it says next. It says, have. You have. It's something that you, it's already in your possession. Whosoever heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath. You already possess it, everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And you can go all the way back to uh, Romans 3.23, but the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is it is 3.23? I'm getting mixed up now. The wages, of de- the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is death. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. Let me tell you, that means something. There's a lot of people that walk around with that hope so. I hope so. I hope. I hope. I hope one day I'll make it. And I tell you what is comforting too, when we know somebody else has turned their heart over to Jesus Christ, but their life didn't quite line up. And we wonder about them. It's not a hope so, it's a no so. So as we go forward in this and we look at Paul's preaching in Galatians because I think that's where we're going. Paul is trying to tell them don't base it on the flesh. Don't base it on yourself. Paul had surrendered all those things and he understood you base it, you turn your conscience over to the Lord and trust what he said. So it's going to get a little fun there when we get to chapter number three in Galatians. But you know, I don't know, maybe the Lord change it up before we get there. But that's where we are today. So who's your confidence in? Is it in the flesh or is it in Jesus Christ? And that, that covers so many things. That covers your day-to-day walk. That covers your doubts about yourself. That covers those moments alone. That covers those moments with other people. 
that covers the dirty looks, that covers anything. Where's your confidence? Is it in Jesus Christ or is it in the flesh? Because if it's in the flesh, the flesh is weak. It'll give out on you. If it's in Jesus Christ, his word stands for eternity. Let's pray.